And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the cannabis reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I'm delighted that you could be here today. Normally, when we talk about post-traumatic stress, it's having to do with veterans who have been traumatized by war. But PTSD is actually more common than we think and can afflict just about anyone who has witnessed violence or been through a traumatic event. According to SIDRIN, which is an organization that specializes in PTSD, an estimated 5% of Americans, more than 13 million people, have PTSD at any given time. Approximately 8% of all adults, that's 1 in 13 people in this country, will develop PTSD during their lifetime. An estimated 1 out of 10 women will get PTSD at some point in their lives. I mean, these figures are something that we don't really think about. Symptoms such as recurrent nightmares or triggers that recall the fright of a traumatic event make PTSD easy to recognize among veterans. But what's most interesting is that some people experience symptoms like depression, insomnia, or feeling socially withdrawn long after a traumatic event, which makes it hard to diagnose with any certainty. And PTSD can result from ongoing stresses such as frequent emotional abuse, or frustration over financial problems, or a serious medical condition, or even a high-pressure job. First responders are also prone to PTSD without realizing the perils of the job or taking a toll until they're away from it for a while. Sadly, as mental and emotional symptoms are too often stigmatized, seeking help of a psychiatrist or even getting conventional medical treatment for PTSD can raise fears about losing a job. So those who recognize PTSD for what it is often feel as though they must tough it out until symptoms become so debilitating that they have no choice but to deal with it. On this show, a number of veterans have credited cannabis for saving their lives. In fact, a number of them have successfully lobbied for policy change to make it accessible without losing VA benefits. While veterans are allowed to use cannabis where it's legal, it may take years before active duty personnel can access cannabis in lieu of harsh pharmaceuticals, which are often prescribed for the symptoms of PTSD. The same goes for first responders. Whereas medicating with alcohol and prescription drugs is deemed acceptable, cannabis is just off limits. Federal policy and lack of awareness remain barriers to the policy change, And in countries like Canada, which will begin legalizing cannabis for adult use in October, stigma remains a barrier to acceptance. As our guest explains, education is key to removing barriers so that anyone suffering with PTSD can get the life-saving relief they need to lead healthier, stress-free lives. Sergeant Vincent Lefebvre spent more than 30 years as a police officer serving Greater Toronto Area before taking medical leave to cope with PTSD, and later a serious medical condition that resulted from it. 
Having discovered the healing power of cannabis in 2016, he wrote a manifesto called A Letter to My Doctor, which explained the decades-long struggle to cope with the demons and enduring torture gripping his soul after decades of being a first responder. In early 2018, he fell ill with what can be described as ravages of PTSD-related bleeding disorder, and he's currently on medical leave. He recently entered into a fully supervised clinical cannabis trial, which is being led by Dr. Sue Sisley, where he checks in with a Toronto-based Apollo Applied Research. Vince, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your being here. My pleasure. You know what? It's Let me first say it's a privilege and it's an honor, and uh, I'm, I'm just absolutely stoked to be here today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you. And I mean, you have quite a history in law enforcement. And just so that people listening can understand just what that meant, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing over the last 30 years or so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, almost completely uh, entirely dedicated to frontline policing. So uh, True Grit, uh, Boots on the Ground, where the metal meets the meat uh, policing. And you know, uh, Snowden, I loved uh, every minute of it. I really did. Uh, it was, for me, it was a calling. And I started right out of uh, high school in, uh, in 1987. So I'm closing in on my 31st year. That's incredible. So in your work, obviously drug enforcement was a lot a part of it. And yet here you are today advocating for the use of cannabis I'm assuming you began through experiencing the medical benefits. Is that correct? Absolutely, yes. Um, I've been in treatment for first responder PTSD for, uh, this will be my second year in October. Um, heaps and uh, incredible uh, success story. Heaps, heaps of success uh, uh, throughout the past uh, couple of years. For me, um, I've been able to claim outright that it's uh, saved my life. I hear that from a lot of veterans as well, on a regular basis. I mean, the medicines that are being given to veterans to treat PTSD are really quite um, debilitating in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering, I mean, was that the case for you when you realized that, that PTSD was a part of your life? How did that manifest, first of all? And then how did you come to find that cannabis was going to help? Yes. Now, for the manifest uh, portion of your question, Snowden, in 2016, I uh, took part in a retirement seminar for our service. And at the seminar was a very great man who is a psychologist by the name of Sean O'Brien here in uh, Whitby, Ontario, just outside of Toronto. And his message was, uh, please, at the end of your career, for, for goodness sakes, make sure that you get some uh, maintenance, let's call it, right? And his message stuck with me. And, you know, I began to realize uh, over the past uh, 10 years that my coping mechanisms were definitely unhealthy. And many first responders will share that, uh, that message uh, that, you know, eventually, the profession uh, will, with all of its uh, ugliness, uh, affect you. Most uh, first responders will be affected at some point. 
So I began writing. And if there's one thing that the uh, police service taught me to do is to write. And uh, I began with my own uh, individual manifest, which I presented to this doctor uh, within a couple of weeks. I almost immediately began um, uh, treatment uh, with cannabis, uh, fully supervised uh, inside of Toronto, uh, a very, very professional uh, medical clinic uh, supervised by two psychiatrists and three MDs. Uh, I have a handler from um, the uh, CAMH, which is the Canadian Association for Mental Health. Uh, she has a PhD, so I'm super supervised. And uh, rightfully so. I mean, uh, the, the medicine works, but it's important that you get it right when it comes to uh, experiencing all its benefits. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm attempting not to ramble on you. And no, no, no. I'm, I'm happy for you to ramble because your story is so interesting. Did you get much pushback from the department where you work regarding cannabis? Well, that's, that's kind of where I am now, uh, Snowden. Um, at the beginning of this year, uh, we're in the August, um, I suffered a, a pretty serious related medical uh, episode, um, which is, uh, has been described as a bleeding disorder, uh, quite frankly. And what's, uh, what's happening now in a lot of cases of vets that are returning from uh, conflict and first responders is that it's, uh, you know, your occupational stress injury, we'll call it, uh, the true injury to the brain that results from PTSD and the resultant lifetimes that one individual can live when they're exposed to literally hundreds of uh, uh, seriously traumatic events that, that end up haunting you, whether you like it or not that damage that is done to the brain will eventually manifest in, in damage that's uh, apparent in the body. So for me, January was uh, a, a huge awakening. I was required to leave work because of the, the uh, enormity of both uh, first responders, PTSD and the disorder. And, uh, you know, since then it's been uh, challenging to say the least. Um, I've always, always been proud to be a police officer, a first responder. I'm proud of my organization. They're very good to me. They really are. Um, you know, all that being said, because of however many lifetimes of uh, the criminality of the medicine, uh, of course, of course, now there's a great deal of uh, red tape. I'm pushing around a pretty big rock when it comes to uh, my HMO, you'll call them here in my province, it's your healthcare provider, your benefits provider. They're willing, certainly willing to help uh, pay for the coverage, which can get very expensive. Um, however, because it's new territory, many employers uh, the continent over are now coming to terms with the fact that it really needs to be included in a schedule for your people, for your uh, your members, for your employees, for your officers, for your paramedics, for your fire firemen and firewomen, all of those good people that deserve the best care, best treatment, should very well have full and fair and frank and legal access to it. And I certainly do. I'm certainly I'm, least, I'm licensed, uh, you know, with a uh, fantastic uh, producer here in Ontario. Um, the, the quality of the medicine is second to none. All those things go without saying, other than the fact that it's yet to be 
officially recognized and the uh, stigma remains. And as a first responder under treatment, you know, I'm, one, I'm the first in, in, I believe, in this part of uh, the province uh, to have come forward and to uh, make it known that uh, it works. It really works and it's safe and it's non-toxic. You know, and it's economically viable for insurers to be to uh, to cover this and to steer uh, good people away from toxic pharmaceuticals and eliminate the ugly habits. And I referred to, you know, my coping mechanisms. Alcoholism's there for many first responders. You know, for me, it may have been binge drinking and uh, and pills and the ugly the ugly things that. People do to themselves when they're in pain, Snowden. No doubt that's an enormous issue here too in the United States. In Toronto, I haven't been to Toronto, but from what I can see, it's sort of the New York City of Canada. I I hate to say it, but it's the best part of the best country in the world. I've heard that from many people, and it, it seems like an amazing city, and... I would love to go and visit it sometime. But, you know, I'm wondering, in your experience in law enforcement, was was marijuana criminality before you had the medical program and before, obviously, they passed the adult use? There must have been the same stigma that we had here with it. And in the United States, the astronomical number of individuals who've been arrested and incarcerated because of marijuana crimes is it's probably the largest prison population of marijuana offenders in the world that are here in the United States. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, how does that compare to the incarceration rate of marijuana crimes in Toronto? And was this something that over time, I mean, how many people have you arrested who have been charged with marijuana crimes? And looking back on it, how does that how does that feel now? Yeah, yeah, a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. And I know um, everybody wants to know these things of of every individual officer that they speak with, and uh, are very interested in their enforcement history. But for me, it was quite simple. You know, I uh, I was a country boy uh, who started right out of high school. So for me, uh, rules were rules. The law is everything. Uh, you know, the shiny boots, all those good things that I still love about policing. Don't get me wrong. Politics aside, uh, whenever I had the opportunity to counsel young people who may uh, have, I may have uh, caught them smoking a joint per se, you know, um, the the extent of my enforcement over the years was really very simplified. Snowden, I never uh, branched off to join the drug units or really particularly spent any great deal of time in the enforcement end. I made my way through traffic and in traffic, of course, you come across uh, marijuana from time to time. But in, in my case, discretion was always the better uh, part of valor, especially when it comes to the law. We have the 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 spirit of the law and the letter of the law. And if I had good young people who had made a mistake by lighting up a joint at the park, I had the opportunity to counsel them. And I always took that opportunity first. Yeah, there's fines. Uh, You know, even through the 90s and the early 2000s here in in Canada, we were more and more uh, allowed and entitled to 
deal in such a manner with uh, uh, simple possession, with uh, a park bylaw, per se, right? You are enforcing the law. However, these people are getting their break. And don't get me wrong, they only got one. If they were back, they'd end up in court. If we caught them more than once, they'd end up in court. So yes, uh, kind of a long answer uh, for you, but uh, I knew, and you know, uh, we're all educated professionals. I knew deep in my heart that there was definitely a higher purpose for cannabis than uh, uh, enforcement. You know, those are my personal uh, opinions. Uh, you know, being retired, I'm, I'm certainly entitled to, to share them, but uh, I'm sure that most officers, and uh, including all the uh, chiefs of police across this country, believe that it was uh, futile to uh, attempt to enforce it as opposed to educate. Educate is everything. So I'm happy for the future. I'm happy for Canada. You know, in October, uh, recreational is going to be a real thing. Uh, there's going to be uh, several <laughs> uh, enormous challenges, many challenges, but uh, several of them enormous. And I think we're, we're going to have to be ready. And, uh, you know, some of your great states have helped us with our studies and our statistics as, as it stands, Colorado and Washington, for starters. It's certainly been an incubator Colorado and Washington being the first and, you know, Oregon and, and California now, so many good positive results have come from regulation, I think. And the criminal justice part of it, I think, is also really more important than people give credence to at this point. And I'm wondering, how has the relaxed opinion about cannabis now that the adult use law is going into effect really soon, how has that affected the stigma around other drug use? Oh, well, you know, uh, quite frankly, Snowden, I don't have an opinion there. I wish, you know, I wish, I certainly wish I did, but, you know, I've been removed from the enforcement, uh, from street level enforcement for these are eight months now uh, because of my medical leave. But, you know, in my own opinion, uh, you know, with my experience, uh, you're referring to Gateway may very well be your question, yeah? Um, well, Gateway, but also just the general feeling about drug use because here the stigma has has uh, uh how do i want to put this most law enforcement don't treat it as a disease most law enforcement treat it as a criminal problem yes. and you know i'm i guess i'm wondering what the general feeling is in canada about that i mean are drug abusers who obviously are addicted, especially drugs, hard drugs like uh, heroin, for example, you know, is that treated as a, a criminal problem or is it treated more as a health problem in Canada in general or in Ontario at least? In, in my experience, it, it, it absolutely has had to be treated criminally initially. Now, we have exceptional methadone programs that are taking place uh, all across the province, all across the country for that matter. Um, I believe uh, the answer, uh, quite frankly, is in uh, approaching it from a healthcare perspective. Uh, supervised, supervised healthcare, uh, you see it in the UK, heroin addicts in the UK uh, are uh, provided with their medicine, provided that they remain under strict supervision. 
I believe in those things personally, Snowden, but uh, I'll never be able to speak on behalf of uh, the, the police service or uh, my fellow good citizens in Canada. However, I'm sure we're all proud of the enormous efforts we put forward to um, educate, especially with cannabis on the way. That's, that's my thing right now, is I know that uh, education is everything. Uh, it's important for me, you know, your honor is everything. You know, I committed my life to policing. I want to make sure that um, my exit from policing was with honor, you know, and I, I even brought my, my wife, I, God bless her, you know, your, your spouse loves, loves you when they've been through what they have right beside you all of these years and my children too. I have adult daughters, um, you know, uh, children and family and spouses of first responders live it, whether they realize it or not. Um, the shift work, you know, the, the, uh, the, the late, late nights and the ridiculous uh, lack of sleep and all those uh, things that come hand in hand with uh, the profession. Your family lives it too. I think that's the, the case with veterans when they look back on their lives, you know, the, the families of service members, whether it's civil service or military service, they really are sort of the unsung heroes because they deal with so much of the same stress on a different level, but related stress, you know, in general. Yeah. So I, I imagine that, that your wife is very positively uh, or accepting of, of this choice that you've made to medicate with cannabis. Yes, yes. And has, has the use of cannabis actually helped eliminate a lot of the harsh drugs? Have you found that you've been able to cope with cannabis alone on some levels? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, October of 2016 was the last time I took a pill. So I'm very, very proud of that. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, from the day one with the cannabis treatment, uh, we all know um, how effective it can be. Uh, the virtues of CBD, uh, CBD right now are exceptional. When you, all, we're all intelligent people. We all know how to study. When you study what the benefits are, how can you uh, not agree that uh, it is the right choice in so many cases for so for such a wide variety of uh, afflictions, including, and uh, at the top of that list, anxiety. Anxiety disorders are very common amongst all of us. We all have been affected by anxiety in our own way at one, one time in our lives and understand how crippling it can be. Now, if we have a solution to anxiety alone, I think it's a goldmine. Uh, I think so too, actually. And especially for... Uh, being in, in law enforcement as well. Do they do drug testing for officers to make sure that they're clean and sober? No, no, um, no, that's, a, no, that's a, a very difficult uh, question to ask. So thank you for asking it, but uh, the answer is no. And all through my career, I always uh, certainly wondered uh, the, the hows and whys of that. You know, officers are, are heavily armed. Uh, <laughs> especially nowadays and even here in Canada. So here's the thing, Snowden. Um, you, it's, it's not uncommon for any police service to have officers that are medicated in a great variety of ways. Um, human rights allow for personal freedoms from uh, you know, the intrusion of the state, even those of us that work for the state. So I'm kind of proud of that. 
Uh, all that being said, um, you know, HR departments in every first responder service across the globe have their own ways and means of dealing with officers who are medicated in one way, shape, or form. And I am confident that these professionals can continue professionally, ensuring that our officers are healthy, happy, and safe, and however uh, well they're medicated in order to uh, uh, meet those ends, so be it. And uh, I'm, I'm proud to, to uh, be the first to, to step forward and make it known that uh, it works and it needs to be uh, spoken of. And no longer will I be in the closet. Like I said in my bio, this is my personal uh, pride flag on the field. There's no way I'm going to be in the closet over this in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've probably been following some of the strange back and forth with policy here in the United States. I mean, there are a lot of different influencers who are trying to prevent full legalization, obviously. And, you know, when you when you look at where cannabis sits in the Controlled Substances Act schedules, it really makes zero sense that it's schedule one and there's a lot of confusion right now over cbd which obviously is is non-psychoactive and even the state of california which enacted its adult use law meaning you know anybody can go and purchase cannabis anywhere they've come down with a rule that bars cbd from being added to any food substance and it's just the strangest thing. But I'm wondering, with respect to some of these crazy laws back and forth, if you were to have an opportunity to sit before Congress, let's say, and advocate for, for the relaxing of the laws around uh, CBD especially, but also all forms of cannabis for adult or medical use, what would you tell them? Well, I think, like I've professed throughout, is that we are all uh, educated people, right? It's uh, evidence. We are, everything, everything I've ever done over all my 30 years is based on evidence. Now, the evidence is in, and the evidence is clear that the, the medicine works, and uh, it's effective, and it's safe, and it's non-toxic, and it's non-psychoactive. So, you know, there goes that argument over, uh, you know, Congress worrying about people getting plain old people getting high. It's, it's ridiculous. And that seems to still be ingrained in the, the, the political thought process in your great country. Not mine. <laughs> I, wish, uh, I wish I had an answer for you other than to, um, to state uh, categorically that you know, political uh, Decisions do take time, regardless of who's in power. But uh, I think the the time will come, and very soon, where um, you know CBD is going to be readily available throughout your great country. Here, here, well, for for us, and uh, you know that's that's certainly our success. And I, I know that as uh, cousins in the north side of the border, uh, we can share all of our statistics with you, and we'll give you all the raw data you need. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I wish that we had the same attitude around this as you do in Canada. I mean, it's it's quite liberating, I'm sure, to be living there and to see these changes happening on a national level. 
it's incredible from my perspective anyway, because we've been fighting such a long fight here. Despite all of the evidence we are fighting and we continue to fight for the removal of all forms of cannabis from the schedules because it is ridiculous. But tell me a little bit about the book that you're working on now. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, well, it certainly is a uh, work in progress. You know, writing is a, is a, I don't know if I'm sure you've done your share of it over the years, but for me, it's more of a, a fleeting thing where, where it started uh, and came on strong for me, it was in 2016 with my uh, original manifest uh, letter to my doctor. So that will be my first uh, article. I'll, uh, hopefully see published in the near future. I'm a, I can self-publish as well. We have the, you know, you're aware of LinkedIn. LinkedIn's fantastic. You know, uh, all your own works can go on there and uh, it can be seen by there's uh, 500 million followers, 500 million Snowden on LinkedIn, right? So wow. I hope to uh, publish that uh, very soon in near, very near future, likely by the end of the year. Uh, I'll make it uh, available for yourself as well. If you'd like to uh, consider that, I'd certainly appreciate it. And as for the book itself, uh, the end of 20, 2021, um, that, will, that will be the, the completion of my writings. And hopefully I'll have them gathered by that time as well. But uh, uh, writing for me has been very therapeutic. Like I said, you know, my, my career uh, allowed me the opportunity to, uh, to write and write well. And uh, I'm happy to commit my experience to paper for, uh, you know, for, for all time. We, we all have that opportunity to be immortal. And I, f I find that writing will do that uh, in, in my case. So, and uh, my story and my family and uh, all the, the great success that I've uh, experienced because of my treatment, I, I, I need to have that known. And uh, where I came from, as ugly, uh, you know, as it was, uh, as one of the many thousands of first responders who end up in treatment at the end of their, uh, their lifetime, uh, you know, uh, I'd like to say that uh, we as first responders uh, sold our souls to the profession to one degree or another, right? You really do. It's just the nature of the beast. But in my case, I want it known that, you know, uh, its refundability must be assured and it's safe, safekeeping as well, right? I need to know that I can come out of this uh, and my uh, colleagues, uh, they can come out of this unscathed and uh, be free of the, the, the true hell that uh, first responders disease can represent. Yeah, and for fellow officers who have not experienced the healing therapy of cannabis yet, do you have an opportunity to talk to them a lot? Yes, I'm glad you asked that too. Um, you know, that was certainly part of my notes. Uh, we have, my organization has uh, in uniform 850 officers, so it's a good size organization. Within that organization, we have a number of uh, uh, peer supporters, uh, officers who will be willing to speak to anybody who's undergoing difficulty uh, at any time, day or night good friends. So a good someone that you can call. So there's 20 of them uh, in my organization. What I did is I reached out to every one of them, right? And uh, made sure that they knew my story, all, you know, uh, four pages of the email, everything that I'm going through and where I am with it. And 
if they'd like to respond to me and, and uh, just plain old talk is everything. Cognitive behavioral therapy, it's everything. So of those 20, I got five replies. And, uh, you know, uh, in and amongst those officers, there are others who are in the closet who are being uh, uh, medicated uh, with cannabis. So I knew that I would be able to... Um, uh, seek them out in that manner. That makes a difference, I'm sure, to have them fully understand where you're coming from before they actually join. For those who don't know, tell me the name of your organization. So uh, outside of Toronto, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, my uh, region is east, just 20 minutes east, and it's the uh, region of Durham, the Durham Regional Police Service. And do you look for more members? Do you do you enjoy having people contact you randomly to join up or are you more selective than that? Well, here's the thing. There's a certain amount of uh, uh, satisfaction knowing that I'm representing more than just myself here. Right. And the, the, the officers that are reaching out to me uh, are also reporting great success. Um, yet they are remaining in the closet for their own reasons, right? But they, they want their uh, identities known because they understand exactly where I'm coming from. They, they understand precisely that uh, uh, the stigma has to be overcome and that it will, and, and certainly in, in time, certainly much more rapidly here in Canada as well. Your medical providers, your doctors... How open have they been along the way when, uh, when you gave the manifesto first to your doctor? What exactly was his initial response? And was he open to this in, ahead of time? Yes. Well, uh, certainly the, uh, the, got the doctor's attention, right? We'll, we'll certainly say that. But, uh, you know, being a uh, specialist uh, in regards to first responders across the province, uh, uh, my doctor was certainly very, very switched on to the idea and very, uh, very uh, well informed and, and incredibly well educated as to the benefits of CBD itself. And what about THC? I mean, was he, was he completely open to the idea of whole plant cannabis as a therapy in advance of this? Absolutely. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, the, the strain... Um, that I've settled on over the uh, past couple of years of uh, the beauty of uh, cannabis as well is that there are so many strains. We all know that. Um, but the, the strain that I ended up uh, settling on has a significantly high percentage of THC. And for those who can't or they're not permitted to or their job doesn't allow them to have any psychoactive substances in their body, do you feel that that the CBD alone is going to be enough to help other law enforcement officers who are suffering the same way that you were? Well, you know, I wish I was qualified to answer that one. That, that's a good one. A personal opinion uh, would be uh, yes, because it is such a new uh, uh, field in terms of means of uh, uh, treatment that uh, yes, I, I believe that anything is possible when it comes to effective treatment through the use of cannabis, whatever the strain may be. Uh, like I, I continue to assert, we're all educated, we're all professional, we're all adults, we're all capable of managing 
our own health in our own way. And uh, if cannabis happens uh, to be in your future, you will learn too. That's the exciting part about it. Yeah, it really is. I mean, people who discover this for the first time feel like they got their life back, you know, on so many levels. Yeah. In a non-toxic manner. You know, uh, the, the, the stories, and, and I have, uh, I have uh, uh, friends as well who are speaking well of the, the ability for CBD to completely interfere with um, addictive behaviors, especially alcoholism. It has, it has a way of treating alcoholism, which is exciting in and of itself. You know, a lot of people here are finding that as well. And in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I did speak with a doctor who specializes in addiction disorders. And he said that unequivocally, cannabis is probably the most effective treatment for weaning people off of harsh opiates how difficult is the opiate, illegal trade of opiates, opiate pharmaceutical drugs, not just heroin, but how accessible is this in Canada or in Toronto when you were on the force and how big of a problem is it? Uh, well, uh, Snowden, frankly, fentanyl is, is our real issue right up here north of the border uh, these days. Uh, um, as I'm sure you know, it's a... Uh, very, very potent painkiller available in patches for cancer patients and uh, patients of many varieties. But uh, the issue here with our addicts is getting a hold of fentanyl patches and uh, quite frankly, uh, overdosing almost immediately in many cases. It's that toxic. It is. I've heard this from so many different people, doctors and law enforcement alike. But is it coming in from other countries or are people duplicating it in laboratories there? I mean, how, how prevalent is it on the street? Well, I'll, I'll have to refrain from giving you uh, any real answer there. Uh, when I was on the street, uh, you know, here's, here's um, for instance, for you, uh, there's 110,000 people in my town. And over the course of uh, just a few months, we had uh, at least three uh, fatal overdoses uh, attributable to uh, fentanyl, and this was just in a few months. Uh, for any town, that's a ridiculous statistic, and for my town, it was quite alarming. I can imagine. but it, You know, it, it just boggles my mind how, um, here anyway, the stories that we hear about people who are getting a hold of it illegally, you know, it's... It really is just such an insidious problem, and it's becoming more and more well-known because there have been a lot of celebrity deaths related to it as well. And, you know, while it's tragic to lose anyone, when we lose someone who's become a member of the household by virtue of the fact that, you know, they've got a certain amount of fame or they're really well-recognized, that does tend to bring more attention to it on a national level. And it really brings the problem home. And I know that this is something that, that law enforcement here in the States are dealing with day in and day out. And it's such a hard thing to get a handle on. And it's also difficult for people to make the leap that cannabis could actually help to get some of these people off of the drugs. And often they're you know, your grandmother or your teenage daughter, 
they're not they're everyday people they're not just hardened criminals precisely and that's where you and i will agree all day long right um you know uh, for me uh, health scare and for most of us humans uh, snowden i think uh, a health scare you know a life sentence mine isn't a death sentence but it's a life sentence you know, it's always your health scares that bring you back online with what is required for optimal health. And uh, pharmaceuticals aside, they, I, I know they have their purpose. You know, God, help, God help me if I break a leg, I may very well require a real painkiller. But uh, I've never personally viewed cannabis as a painkiller. I view it as a medicine, right? And... Uh, for me, cannabis at the top of the list of so many healthy, natural alternatives, you know, your, the, the, your proper diet and exercise and sleep. Oh, I've never slept better, right? Never slept better. 30, 30 odd years as a shift worker is pretty hard on your body. Well, for me to get eight hours uh, sleep every night now, that's a big thing, right? So, uh, yes, it's for me, uh, cannabis will be at the top of the list of, uh, 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 my my medicines, my vitamins. Take your vitamins, I like to say, and uh, education. Now I, I need to credit you as well because it, it was your study, or rather your article on the study that uh, I became a part of uh, that got me started. You know, I, I'm sorry it's taking me this long to mention this, but uh, I read your article and I said I am going to be a part of that study, and I made it happen uh, in no time. So so thank you. And I'm sorry it's taken an hour for wow. me to say that. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. You know, sometimes we forget that um, people actually are reading these things. Yeah. That's uh, great. It's nice to hear that it's, it, it made a difference in your life. I'm very delighted to hear that. Yeah. Well, you know, and like I say, when I, when I do write and I, I like to write and writing will be a part of my future, regardless of, you know, it, it, turns out to be one or two articles or the, <laughs> the full feature book remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, I have an exciting future now. I'm healthier than ever. Uh, my family loves me again. And uh, not that they never didn't. Right. But I'm home now to take care of them properly. And uh, th that's everything. So for me to have to get my life back, uh, I can't wait to share that story. And uh, thank you for allowing me to do that uh, through your great uh, radio show. Well, it's absolutely an honor for us to be able to talk to you about this because your experience is extraordinary. And I'm certain that there are a lot of people who will benefit from hearing your story and reading it as well. And, you know, what the families that have been destroyed over the criminality of cannabis how how do you in just your personal view how how should people cope with that yeah that so uh, philosopher i I'm, I'm not <laughs> but i'll i'll tell you this um it's, it's along the same lines of an answer that you're seeking, uh, Snowden. But for me in my career, it was alcohol that I watched destroy uh, countless lives and uh, careers and families and, and uh, it continues this day to destroy. And 
it's uh, you know it's it's alcohol that's that's always taken society by storm and i believe that now uh educated uh, uh adults who have the choice may very well drink a heck, a heck of a lot less and find themselves uh, shopping for their favorite strain somewhere in the near future here in canada october 17th <laughs> yeah I, I imagine that that's the case which would explain why the alcohol lobby is is one of the elements that have really tried to prevent cannabis legalization. I know that they made big efforts here in Arizona when we had our adult use uh, measure on the ballot. And the alcohol lobby was one of the largest contributors to the campaign against this, which is a bit strange because alcohol is never going anywhere. People will always drink. And I, yeah, it's a big business. Um, and I think that, you know, healing some alcoholism isn't going to put a big dent in their profit margin. So it is very curious to me why, why that's always been such a, a big problem here anyway. But, you know, along the lines of the question that I just asked you, I'm curious, there have been so many families destroyed by the incarceration of a loved one over marijuana. And just from a law enforcement perspective, what would you tell them today? You know, with, with the legalization happening, how do we reconcile what they've been through? Yeah. So I'm sure that is the question that's been asked of many uh, great minds. Yeah. Um, I, I will promise you, I won't sit here and profess to have any sort of an answer as to, uh, you know, the, the great ills of, society and uh, law enforcement however it's structured in any state or province has its own history uh, to be specific in terms of uh, anybody who uh, is un unlawfully detained yes here in Canada I've got all the all the faith in the world in our system I, I still truly believe in our system that you know even if you cannot afford uh, counsel uh, we have duty counsel, we call them, and these are young, hardworking lawyers who do their very best, uh, you know, in a, in a very difficult and big system that is justice in any country. Yeah, I can imagine. We, we actually have public defenders is what we call them here. Yeah. And boy, they work hard for not a lot, but yeah. You know, you know, Snow, Matt, I like to talk about the past, you know, like the, in terms of law enforcement, the past, you know, is certainly history uh, and tomorrow shouldn't be a mystery. But today is what we do best. And, and you know, good people like yourself, when you, when you do everything you can every day to educate and ensure that the right message uh, is, is spread, you know, so thank you, uh, technology. Uh, we're going to do some good we're going to do the right things for the future. And, and that includes never again people being unlawfully detained, imprisoned uh, uh, unjustly. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that the end of, of that metaphor is that the present is the gift. Oh, yes. Yeah. So here we are right now. So right now we're doing something uh, productive and proactive and important. I think education is very important. That's my, my next uh, question of myself is, uh, 
you know, I, I'd, I'd certainly like to carry on with a career. I'm too young a man. I'm a heck of a lot healthier now. So, you know, I, I believe that there's a future in cannabis for me. You know, I think that you should be very proud of your service. Um, 30 years in law enforcement is a long time to be dedicated to public service that way. And I'm certain that there are a lot of people that you've come across who are grateful for your service as well. Thank you. And that was going to be my next question for you. What's next for you? So writing, obviously, um, entering the cannabis. In your heart of hearts, what would you like to see happen over the next uh, couple of years for yourself? Yeah, and we've touched on it. We've touched on it quite a bit. And it's, it is, it's very, very important to me to, to continue and, and be productive. And, uh, you know, everything I've learned from uh, uh, policing in terms of uh, my ability to write, I'm going to put to good use. There's, there's no doubt. Uh, to be gainfully employed again would be nice as well. However, uh, uh, we shall see. You know, once I'm uh, officially retired and my resume is together, I intend to, to put it out in some uh, some key areas in the industry. And with with luck, uh, my skill and knowledge, abilities, and demonstrated uh, leadership will speak for itself. No doubt. No doubt it will. Yeah. So technically you're not retired now. Are you still on the force and, and on disability at the moment or? So like I mentioned uh, a short time ago, um, I've been on medical uh, leave since January. So this is, this is a shout out to my great province and, you know, our uh, important insurance coverage that, uh, that really, uh, really comes through for first responders when it's required. So we have the workplace safety uh, insurance in Ontario where I'm, I'm covered uh, while I'm undergoing treatment. So it's, it's very important to, to know that uh, uh, this treatment's available for all first responders and it's important that uh, they get it if they need it, absolutely. And all you have to do is say that you need it. We're protected by parliament. We passed a bill in 2016 as well, uh, right around the same time you wrote this article. And the bill uh, is to protect uh, first responders' rights in terms of expediating uh, the process, the red tape process, when it, when it comes to uh, any first responders who are required to leave work because of their condition. And for me, in, in January, the physical, the you know, ugly physical manifestation was really what required me to leave work. I still uh, make my way back to the office. Uh, my, I see my shift and my colleagues, my fellow sergeants, and um, I'm welcomed back with open arms. I've got nothing but friends amongst all of my colleagues who know my entire story. They uh, are with me 100%. And they know uh, that it worked. They they saw they saw my uh, healing and my treatment firsthand. You know, practically on a uh, weekly basis for eight or nine months. So no one can deny that it that it works. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, wow. Well, I admire your courageous healing, and I admire your career. Really, congratulations for Thank the you. success. And. I really am looking forward to your forthcoming book. I think it'll be amazing. And, you know, I'd love to discuss with you more about possibly uh, getting some of your writing out in advance, if you'd like, through our platform, because I see a talent there. <laughs> 
and cool. I, I really look forward to it. But I have to say thank you so, so much for giving me this time to pick your brain about all of this. I really do appreciate it. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and, a, and an honor. And I, like I said, I, I, threw, I sent you a LinkedIn message. I said I was very impressed with your take on Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah, that was such a tragedy. And it, it, that, uh, oh, that's a whole other conversation. And um, that event actually triggered me to speak with a veteran who I know has, has dealt with a lot of fellow veterans who have come very close to suicide to try to understand where that tremendous sense of despair comes from and how we as a society can help prevent this from happening. And I am a big believer that cannabis is part of that solution because I think that a lot of the harsh drugs do have side effects that lead to suicidal thoughts and actions, which is a huge tragedy. And I'm hoping that someone will initiate a study someday to survey the families of the fallen to suicide to ascertain whether or not any drugs, whether it was drug abuse or just simply legal prescription drugs that they were on coping for with any kind of uh, medical condition or mental um, anxiety or whatever it was, and how many of them had those drugs in their system when they claimed their own lives. is My intuitive thought is that perhaps that does have a lot to do with it. Oh, the toxicity of pharmaceuticals. Abs yes, yes, you know, uh, absolutely. And, and that's why that is why it is so important uh, for uh, channels of communications to, to remain open, right? Um, you, you know, in my case, pharmaceuticals, as toxic as they are, were never going to be an option. I saw them negatively affect those around me uh, over and over. And I knew very well that uh, the toxicity is, is real. You know, um, officers that have been medicated uh, uh, in the traditional manner have had uh, worsening symptoms, you know, uh, in, in many cases. So, yes, uh, education, uh, communication, speak up about your treatment. And in my case, you know, my clinic, uh, it's Apollo. It's as simple as that. All you have to do in the GTA, the greater Toronto area, is Google Apollo Applied Research. The clinic website is there, the credentials are there, their studies are there, the study that you're referring to, they have, uh, it occupies 20 feet of their wall in their office. They're very proud of it. Sanjay Gupta is a god in that office. You know, Sanjay Gupta from CNN, the chief medical correspondent, uh, he's a brain surgeon. And the man did a 180 in the past few years where he is hailing the, uh, the, uh, the promise and the, the results and the statistics and the success of THC and CBD all through the cannabis spectrum. Absolutely. You know, he, I, I actually credit him with where we are now because he was really the first doctor to come out on mainstream and say, hey, look, this is not that bad. <laughs> and now, I mean, he's a huge advocate and a lot of us who've been really encouraging policy change on many levels. 
are grateful to his courage to come out when no one else was out there saying it. So yeah, I, I agree. He is a hero to the cannabis movement for sure. But oh, I could go on with you for another hour and I wish we could, but I am getting that signal that it is time to start wrapping it up. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Very nice, Snowden. So thank you very much. And like I say, it's been an absolute honor. And so if you ever find yourself in Toronto, I want you to look me up. Thank you. Absolutely, I will. So once again, it is time for us to bring yet another show to a close. I'd like to personally thank my guest, Vincent Lefebvre, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that he's doing, and his organization, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode and there you will find his bio and links to his website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Healthterra, Canisphere Biotech and Alpine Miracle. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Eric Goodall, the composer of our theme song, Evergreen, and our program directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling.